thank you all for all your work. And we're looking forward to Bible school this next week and uh, our construction theme as we want to see lives built up in Christ on the foundation of the gospel. And uh, the children will be learning uh, tomorrow about the grace of God, that it's not of works, it's all of grace, the way God deals with us. Then they'll learn the next day about uh, humanity, about people, our problems, our sin, and how we fall short of the glory of God and need a Savior. And then we'll talk about God. There's only one God. And we'll try to teach them that and settle them on that one issue. And He's a holy God, a sovereign God. And uh, then we will talk about uh, Christ and we'll talk about how God loved us and sent His Son to live the life we couldn't live and to suffer on the cross the wrath of God that we deserved. And if we will trust in Him, then we'll have everlasting life. And then the last day we'll talk about faith. And we're going to talk about uh, and encourage the, uh, the children to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord only. And uh, no one else, nothing else, just Jesus it's what it all boils down to. So I want to ask you to be sure and uh, pray for us and pray for Bible school, pray for the teachers, pray for the kids, pray for the parents, and pray that we would have a great impact on this uh, upcoming generation with the gospel. And so uh, thank you all who are going to be working, and we will certainly be praying for you. I also want to uh, remind you to pray for Bob Hooker. He's over his covid but now his sciatic nerve is just giving him fits. And he's having trouble walking and having some therapy to be done uh, starting tomorrow. And so, uh, Brother Bob, if you're watching, we just want you to know, as a church family, we love you and we're praying for you. Amen, church? And uh, so continue to pray for him as well as other people. We've got people that are still in the process of grieving and people that are going through sickness and different problems and things like that. Pray for one another. And we're going to ask you to uh, come to the altar on behalf of one another in just a moment. And also, just to remind you too, whenever anyone comes to the altar, let's make sure nobody comes alone. Make sure you come up with them and you don't have to ask them anything and they don't have to tell you anything. This is something between you and the Lord. We just want you to know if you come that we love you and we're supporting you in all of that. And we'll do that in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask uh, in just a moment all of the fathers to come. And we're going to gather around our dads and we're going to pray for them. But this will also be a great time to pray for your dad if he doesn't know Christ as his Savior and Lord. This would be a good time to pray for your dad if he says that he knows Jesus but he's straight. It happens and we want to see them come back. But can I say something else just personal privilege. When I walked up here, uh, walked in here and I saw all the decorations, it reminded me of a year ago. It was a year ago I was preaching when we had our Bible school decorations up that I just about passed out while I was preaching and I had to sit down right over here and uh, finish the message. Boy, what a difference a year makes. And I'm thankful, very, very thankful to the Lord and thankful for you and your prayers and your support during uh, all of this time and all of my recovery from uh, heart failure. So, I'm going to ask all of the dads, come join me up here at the front. And then I'm going to ask church family, come and let's join and let's gather around them and let's pray for them. And uh, that would be about all of us coming on up here. So let's just come on up and 
Let's pray together. Privilege and an honor to be a parent. It certainly is. And it's a privilege and an honor to be a father. Even though that seems to be under attack and all of that today, we, aff- we affirm you guys. We affirm you guys. And we love you and we praise God for you. Okay? Amen. I also want to say to those of you who grew up in a home where your father was absent or maybe he wasn't a good dad, maybe he died when you were young, and I understand that uh, this day brings different feelings for different people. For some of you who have been praying to be a dad and that opportunity has not come, I understand that, and and we could go on and on about that. Just know that uh, none of you were overlooked today even on this special day. But we don't want to let that take our attention off of praying for our dads today because we certainly do love them. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please? Father, as we think about things today, I thank you that I'm in much better shape than I was this time a year ago, and I praise you for that. And I thank you, Father, that uh, while you brought... Brother Bob Hooker through COVID, we we can't thank you enough for that. But we also want to ask you, Lord, in this aftermath with his trouble walking and the pain that he has in his sciatica, would you please let him know he's loved, that he's prayed for? And Lord, above all of that, would you heal him and raise him back up? We miss seeing him here, don't we, church? And Father, we pray you would work in his life. And I want to pray for people today who... When they think about Father's Day and they think about a father, there's pain that comes up on that. Maybe because they haven't been able to be a father. Or maybe because their father wasn't everything that he could be. And we want to just affirm that Romans 8, 28 and 29 is true. That even in the failures of those who should have loved us and should have protected us and should have been there for us. And in those dreams and hopes that we have... It doesn't negate the fact that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For the Bible says in Romans 8, 29 that we are predestined to become like Christ. And somehow, Lord, you take the rottenness and the depravity and the failures and the awfulness and the disappointments even and the hurts of life and you take those things as necessary ingredients to make us more like Jesus. And so today we say, O sovereign God, we submit. And we thank you that these things are not just random attacks because you're just angry or because fate is taking control. We thank you that they have a purpose and they're making us like Jesus. And we'll be able to rejoice over that in heaven even if it's hard now. But we give you thanks in all these things. And Lord, those of us who have fathers who are in heaven... We miss them and we thank you for them. And I'm uh, so glad I don't have to pray for my dad anymore. He's fine. Everything is taken care of. And many others can say that same thing. But Lord, it's for these men who are standing here and the fathers that are still living that I pray for them. Oh Lord, there are so many battles today. There are so many attacks on masculinity, manhood, and even fatherhood today. I pray we could stand strong. 
And I pray that we would rise up, as the old hymn says, as men of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would love you with all of our hearts. And I pray that we would love your word and love your church. I pray that we would love our families and love our wives. And I pray that you would honor that in us and let us not be failures. Let us not fall asleep on the job. Let us not lay our weapons down. But may we take up arms and stand guard and be ready when the battle comes against us or against our church and our society or even against those that we love in our family. May we be defenders and protectors, men of God, for the glory of God and for the sake of those that we love. And so we dedicate these men to you, stir their hearts, bless them, and thank you for them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray to our Heavenly Father. Amen, amen. and amen. God bless you. Thank you, Jenny. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I've had this on my heart for uh, well over a month. And um, I'll start off by saying this. I've done a fair amount of counseling over the years. And I have rarely, now sometimes, but rarely had anybody come to see me. And when we talk about their past, they say, well, I just hated my father. Now, it does happen. does happen. But most of the time, even adult children as well as smaller uh, children, they love their father. They want their father's approval. They want their father to smile upon them. They want their father to affirm them. They want their father to be present in their life. They love, they love their dad. But I will say this. I have seen a lot of people who aren't sure that their dad loves them. And granted, we are different than moms. There was a time back, um, I think it was in the 70s, maybe the 80s, when a major card company like Hallmark decided that they wanted to go into the prisons of America and they wanted to give the inmates free Mother's Day cards. They couldn't print enough of them. They ran out. Well, then in June, they decided they would do the same thing with Father's Day, and hardly any of them were taken. Wonder why that is. Wonder why it is that when you uh, watch a football game and the camera goes down the bench, those uh, big old guys, you hardly ever hear them say, Hi, Dad. What do they say? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. They love their moms. Why is that? I think it's because moms are much more expressive. I think they're much more personal. I think that uh, moms are uh, more effusive about things. They're, they're much less low-key. And uh, dads, we're just, well, we're made differently. We think differently. And the average dad kind of has the idea that if I take care of my family, if I provide for my family, well, they know I love them. They know I love them. You remember the old joke about the couple they got married and uh, lived together in marriage for 50 years and on their 50th anniversary they were having a celebration and vow renewal and the uh, the bride says to uh, the man you know you told me you love me on the day we got married but you haven't said it since then do you still love me and he says if I ever change my mind I'll let you know and that's kind of the summation a lot of times of what 
men are and what we do. I don't know if it's in our DNA or just the way we've been trained up, but we don't express those kind of things very often. And when we do, we don't always do it very well. Obviously, there are exceptions to that, but I think the general rule is it's like that. And uh, I thought about a verse of Scripture before we get into our text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses uh, 13 and 14, it says... Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Doesn't that sound like a dad? Doesn't that sound like a man? Doesn't that sound like a, a Christian soldier? Doesn't it? Then Paul has to throw a monkey wrench into it by adding verse 14. Let all that you do be done with love. Because it's easy to be on guard. It's what that word watch means. It's the word got my name in it, Gregoreo in the Greek, being on guard, easy to do that and to do it even without love. It's easy to do these other things and kind of become like a drill sergeant without love. But then Paul tempers all of this by saying, let all that you do, not just some things, all things that you do be done in love. Now, while this is written to everybody, men, women, boys and girls, adults, children, I take it, though, as uh, something that I think would resonate with men. We kind of get verse uh, 13. Verse 14 may be a little bit more difficult for us. And so that's why I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He's going to preach on the ushy-gushy, mushy love chapter. Yeah, I really am. Because if we're commanded, all of us, to do all things in love, we probably ought to understand it and ought to think about it. A little bit more. This has been called the most poetic and most beautiful chapter in the Bible by a lot of people. I would not disagree. It's uh, probably the uh, most beautiful words the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And he was writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become Sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, just noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Let that sink in. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me. There he uses that same word again. Nothing. Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. The two go together. Even while you're suffering, you're to be kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. And whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part speaking of down here on earth, and we prophesy in part. 
But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. That's why you spoke as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is what, church? Love. Do we believe that? Heavenly Father, we pray we would. We want to. And we pray we wouldn't just pass over these and think about their poetry. We wouldn't pass over these words and think about what beautiful descriptions. I pray we wouldn't pass over these words and say, Oh, I wish I had had parents like that. Or I had a spouse like that. Or, and it's not written to stir those things up. It's written to speak to us. Are we this type of person? And especially, Lord, we want to make applications to dads so that their children know that they are loved by their earthly father just as they are by their heavenly father. And thank you, Lord, as we read this chapter, we see a wonderful description of you, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful, amazing, supreme, matchless love. Give us, give us, Lord, a measure of that in our own lives be patient with us as we grow and learn. And thank you for the example that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about this. And I noticed something interesting as Paul started this off. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about prophecy, uh, preaching. He talks about understanding all mysteries. He talks about all of those things in those first few verses and that caused me to think about Corinth. Corinth was a wicked place. The whole city was wicked, and that wickedness had even come into the church. You remember that even in the church at Corinth, there was a man there that was living with his father's wife. That's kind of gross, isn't it? We uh, realize that in Corinth, this is where people were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Picture that next time you think about it. This is the place where some people were even saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. There was doctrinal drift and all of those kind of things. This is a place where they were in such uproar and turmoil and tumult that they were taking each other to court, even in the church, and we could go on and on with it. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't say, you immoral people need to learn to love the Lord. He doesn't say, you divisive people need to learn to love the Lord. I think that goes without saying. But when he talks about this, he brings up those who would have been considered the most spiritual, the most godly, the most um, faithful people that would be in the church, including himself. And he tells those people that with all of the things that you do and all of the gifts that you have and all of the spirituality that you possess... If you've got this one thing missing, that is love, you become nothing but noise. Nothing but noise. Could that be a problem today? Could that be why our churches are bigger than ever and why the message of Christ is going out more than ever through, even like with us today, through live stream? Uh, literally, we could be anywhere in the world right now, right? 
And yet we have such little impact on our families, such little impact on our society, such little impact among our neighborhoods or on our government. And what could it be? Maybe because when God looks down, he says, all I hear is a lot of cacophony, noise. It makes no sense because we're missing this ingredient of love. And so that is uh, really essentially what point number one was, that this is written to the best among us. Think about it. These men with spiritual gifts, these men that have all of these things going for them, and yet Paul says it turns into noise that you just want to cover your ears. And I wonder if our lack of love doesn't mean the other things are wrong. Doesn't mean you turn into a marshmallow or a bowl of goo or anything. It means you do those other things, watching, stand fast in the faith, um, acting mature and being strengthened, and then you let all you do be done in love. That is the way. That is the way that we do those kind of things. Maybe, maybe this is why our children are going like this when we speak. Maybe this is why it's not penetrating. Maybe this is why we're not being as effective as we could be. It's certainly something to pray about. Lord, I want to be more loving. I want to be more like Christ. And so all of this stuff, no matter how spiritual we are or act or think we are, it's useless and just noise without love. And uh, when you think about it, if this is written to the best of us, what does this say about the not-so-best of us? And that's where I would put my um, life. As I see people that love the Lord more than I do, I see people that follow the Lord better than I do, I see people that have a deeper walk with the Lord than I do, and I aspire to that. But if this is speaking to heroes of the faith, then what is it saying to those of us who have not quite reached hero status? We could all do better in all of this, I guess is the word, right? We need love. We've got to have love. Love for God, love for each other, love for the word, love for the church. I mean, it's got to be there. Number two, I want you to notice that this is written to those who are wanting to improve. I'm going to assume that's why you're here today. You want to be a better Christian. You want to love Jesus more. You want to serve Jesus better. You want to be more fruitful and more effective in everything that you do. And I certainly would applaud that because none of us have arrived yet. None of us have made it to perfection. There's always room. I don't care whether you're five years old or whether you're 95 years old. There's always room for improvement. Well, we find a lot of self-help books and a lot of self-help videos and those kind of things. And most of them have a little bit of, uh, of wisdom that they can give, a little bit of help. Some of them are flat out wrong, but uh, that's the way it is in the world. You can glean maybe a little bit and get a little nugget here and there in the things that are in the world. But when you look in the Word of God and you start reading in verse 4, it's absolute perfection. This is something that we are supposed to have and when we talk about some of these terms we won't look at all of them but what does it mean to be long-suffering I think the King James says well it means as the new King James puts it to suffer long it means when you are suffering 
Make the most of it. Don't, don't automatically try to get out of it. Make the most of it. It's doing something in your life or God would not allow it in your life. It's been defined as patience, but then two other words are added with people. Not so much circumstances. This is about patience with people. Patience with the toddler. Patience with a teenager. Patience with a college student. Patience with an adult child. Patience with other people that you're around, a spouse perhaps. Patience with people, not so much circumstances. There was a man, John Chrysostom was known in the early days of the New Testament church as the golden-tongued orator. He was born in about 347 A.D. And he uh, commented on this word, and he said that it is the word used of the man who is wronged, we've all been in that situation, and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself, and who yet will not do it. You know, it's easy for me to say if I've been wronged and there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, I'm just being long-suffering. But how hard would it be to be in a position where you could do something, you could get revenge, and you just choose not to? That's what that word long-suffering means. You just choose not to do it. Does not envy. You know, we tend to think of envy. Well, I know what that means. I want what someone else has. You know what? There's no sin in that particularly. We see things that other people do and we go, hey, I like what they did with their yard. I think I'll go home and do that myself. Sometimes we may see somebody's car and you go, I need a new car. Boy, that's a good looking car and it's functional. I think I'll get one of those myself. That's not really where the sin is. The sin in envy is I want what you've got. You ready for the second half? And I don't want you to have it. I want to be superior over you. I want you to envy me. I want to be the object of your envy. Like somebody said one time, I don't want to just keep up with the Joneses. I want to be the Joneses. There's where we get into trouble. Well, that's the most unloving thing that you could ever say or think or feel. When we uh, go on down to does not parade itself, and I'll pair that together with someone who's not puffed up, that means that this is a person who sees the unworthiness of their own life. They're not a braggart about everything because they don't have anything to brag about. They look at their own life and they see deficiency and they see imperfection and they see how far away they are from the goal and what God wants them to be. Behave rudely, I think that um, explains itself, just means use good manners. If somebody doesn't use good manners around you, they don't love you. And if you don't use good manners around them, you don't love them. Not seeking its own is basically just being uh, unselfish, not self-centered. In other words, life doesn't revolve around them. And there are a lot of times when maybe a dad comes home and everything has to change because dad's home now. That kind of flies in the face of this, doesn't it? It says not provoked. I think you could add the word in there. Uh, as I understand the original language, not easily provoked. There are times we all get provoked and should get provoked. Righteous indignation, we might call it. But the idea is it's not supposed to be easy 
for you to fly off the handle. It's not supposed to be easy for you to lose your temper. It's not supposed to be easy for you to get out of sorts and get angry with everything. And the easier it is, the more immature you are and the more self-centered you are. Not provoked, not easily irritated or quick-tempered. Then we go on down to thinks no evil. And the idea there is not, I'm not going to think about nasty things or dirty things. It's more the idea of, I'm not going to harbor resentfulness in my mind. I'm not going to keep score of what somebody else has done wrong to me. I'm not going to keep bringing it up. I'm going to let it go. And that's what the word uh, means when it says not resentful because if you're eating up eating up with resentfulness you're eating up with self aren't you and uh, that's an easy thing to do but it's an unloving thing to do according to the word of God it says that uh, love rejoices in the truth that means committed to truth how committed are you to what's right are you a person who just kind of twists in the wind I've known people over the years that um, they were real strong on a particular thing until their kids did it, and now all of a sudden they're waffling on the whole thing. Well, if you were wrong about your stand before, then you probably should make adjustments. But if you were right on that, and you were biblical on that, then you need to stand on it regardless of what your kids or your grandkids or anyone else does or what society does. We've got to stand strong and be committed to truth and uh, uh, this goes on to say, and happy when truth prevails. That ought to be the longing of our heart. Why do we want truth to prevail? Well, because in John 17, 17, uh, Jesus was praying to his father and he says, your word is truth. And we want the word of God to prevail. In the book of Acts, it says the word of God prevailed. That's what we would like to see happen today and in our lifetime. But I also would remind you too, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why do we want truth to prevail? Because truth is Jesus, and we want him to prevail. And then we kind of sum it all up by going, uh, love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. In other words, it can endure anything. It is completely trusting it never ceases to hope. For those of you who are pessimistic, it never ceases to hope. It bears everything, listen to this, with triumphant fortitude. Not an attitude of defeat. But I may be in a tough situation. I may be in the valley of the shadow of death. I may be in the midst of a battle. And yet I bear all of that with triumphant fortitude. My son or daughter may be in rebellion, but I bear under that with triumphant fortitude. We may have a financial downturn, but we're going to make it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I'm going to bear up with triumphant fortitude. Not down in the mouth, not whipped, not beaten down or any of that. That's what those words mean. And so to ignore any of those or to say that's just not me is for you to categorize yourself. You don't love God. You don't love his word. You don't love his church. And you don't really love your family according to the word of God. That's what love 
is. Now, none of us are perfect at it, and all of us are deficient in it, so we all have a ways to go and to grow in it. But we're pressing on the upward way, as the old hymn says, and new heights I'm gaining every day. That's the way our attitude ought to be. So the question would be, is there anyone who displays these qualities as they should? And the answer would be, of course, no. That's part of why we're here. Part of why we're here. We want to be better as followers of the Lord Jesus. Number three, this is written to people who want to matter. What, what man especially does not want to be significant and does not want his life to count? And maybe they'll never make a statue of you. Maybe you'll never be elected to office. Maybe you'll never hold high prestigious positions in your company. But wouldn't you want your children and your grandchildren to remember you fondly when you're gone? Not to have to excuse you. Not to have to try to gloss over those parts of your life that you don't want anyone to know. But I mean really to respect and to admire you and to miss you. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because men crave respect. Women go more toward the love thing. Men want honor. Men want respect. Well, if you'll notice, this scripture here talking about love says in verse 8, love never fails. And then it lists a bunch of other things that are going to fail. In other words, they're all temporary. All of those things that you might do in the church or in the family to try to have status, to look spiritual, to be somebody and to attract attention are all going to be gone and unnecessary one of these days. But your love will always be needed. Your love will always have an impact because your love impacts the generation that you raise. And the love that you gave them impacts them as they raise their next generation. And it goes on and on and on and on. And you and I are products, both positive and negative, of the people that raised us and of the people that raised them and of the people that raised them. Your parents probably knew and were influenced by their grandparents. So it goes three and four generations like the Bible says. And so you and I ought to think about this. If we can love the way God loves, and that is defined here not by a feeling, not by an emotion, not by an impulse, but by the Word of God. And if we are to read these things... And the prayer of Jesus is to be answered that we're sanctified or made holy by the truth. Your word is truth. It means we look at these things and we realize the greatest thing that you can do is to love the Lord, to love his church, to love the word, and to love people, especially those that are in your own family. And so we think about love never fails, which means if I can love my wife the way Christ loved the church, and if I can love my children the way I'm supposed to as a daddy, a Christian man, not just a preacher, a Christian man, then what happens on that? Love never fails. I've become more significant in their life than I ever would if I had five stars on my shoulder, if I had a presidential limousine that I rode around in, I mean, let's stop and think, 
why is it that so many famous fathers in Hollywood, in the entertainment industry, in politics, in the military, why is it that they can command so many people and their own children rebel against everything that they say or think? When I uh, think about our president, and I certainly have things I disagree with him on, but when I think about what he has had to go through and put up with from his son, that's a heartbreaking situation. And some of you know what that is like. Then recently they, it came out that his daughter was also in a rehab. Two out of three kids in rehab? Folks, that's sad. And in her diary, all of the things that she wrote about her upbringing and things that happened, it, it is not a picture of a happy home. You can be commander-in-chief, leader of the free world, and yet fail in so many ways. Now, this is not to say if you'll do everything right, then your children will too. Don't take that guilt on you. I want you to think about God being the perfect father and think about how many of his children rebel against him. Let that sink in. Don't take undue guilt. Correct what you need to, but don't take undue guilt on that. I heard somebody say one time, Well, if a man will be everything he's supposed to be, his wife won't have any problem submitting to him, then why does the bride of Christ have so much trouble submitting to Jesus? That depravity comes out in all of us. And when families fall apart, when families hurt, we need to rally to pray. We need to rally to support and to help, not just simply judge or to withdraw from all of that. But the way you become significant is to love in spite of all of that. Some people are just easier to love. Some situations are easier to display love is. And I think a lot of it comes when it doesn't go right. How is your love? And how do you love? Because love never fails. You'll never go wrong by loving the people in your life and in your family. Even if they fail, love doesn't. Okay? And so we uh, consider all of these things that we think are important and were impressive in the Corinthian church. They're going to go away, but your love, Paul says, will never fail. Love is something that is uh, permanent. Love is something that uh, it conquers. And love is something that, uh, well, think about this. Most of our time and money and effort will be forgotten. But love matters above all. And uh, let's go to number four as we finish this up. This is written to those aspiring to maturity. Are you grown up yet? We've all got some growing to do, don't we? When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. Well, isn't, that, isn't that great? Because children are cute. We love hanging around with little kids, and we love listening to them talk. But boy, they'll hurt your feelings. And they're pretty blunt. You want to ride with Grandpa? No. Okay, they don't hesitate. Now, you try saying the same thing to them, and they'll fall apart, right? Uh, with ours especially when they were little, 
you know, come down here, Big G, and, and build a tower with us. I could not get more than three blocks up before it was all over. One time, one time, okay, one time, confession, I knocked one of theirs down. Oh, my goodness, you would have thought that I had uh, slapped their mama or something, right? Doesn't go both ways. Why? That's childishness. Childishness, self-centered, wants its own way. We make up the rules as we go. You ever try to play with a little two-year-old and they say, oh, we want to play cars. Okay, here's the deal. No, you don't do that. That's childish. That's the way a lot of churches are. They're childish. That's the way a lot of homes are. They're childish. And there's something about a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old that they're cute and they're beautiful, but uh, a 21-year-old baby, not so much. A 50-year-old baby, not so much. A 60-year-old baby, not so much. And here's the deal. We just need to grow up. Put away childish things. See them for what they are. For now we see in a mirror dimly. In Corinth, they didn't have mirrors like we do where you got a good clear image, maybe too clear sometimes. They polished metal. Polished metal. And sometimes it was kind of wavy. Sometimes it didn't shine, uh, depending on the metal, the way that it really should. And even at its best, it wasn't all that great. They would see in a mirror dimly, and Paul said, but one of these days it's all going to become clear. This is the part of spiritual growth. Things tend to become clearer as you grow in the Lord. Verses of Scripture, concepts, philosophies, all of that that seemed so right when you were 18. Remember those days? Now they look so incredibly wrong, so incredibly childish. And so this is the thing to where I would say, fathers, don't just put the pressure on your kids to grow up. What about you? What about you? And uh, this is what Paul is talking about. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you leading the way or just pointing the way? There's a big difference between the two. And are you protecting your family? Are you the sheepdog of your family because if there's not a sheepdog the wolves are going to get them okay you need to have a sheepdog the wolf may get them anyway but uh, at least he has to fight be the sheepdog of your family and then think about the fact that in all of your trials and everything you're going through someday you're going to be in heaven Paul says and it's all going to be clear. Why did I have to go through this and he didn't? It'll all be clear in heaven. Why did my kids do this and their kids didn't? It'll all come clear in heaven. Everything is going to make sense. Just not yet. Not yet. And we've got to anticipate it. And we think about that last verse. Paul sums it up by saying, So now faith, hope, and love abide. They're, they're at home here. This is what we want. We all agree with that. These three. But what's the greatest? He says the greatest of these is love. Why does that matter? You may be a poor man today. And you say, I can't provide my kids a college education. I can't buy them name brand clothes. I can't buy them the kind of car they want. Yeah, but you can love them. And that's the maximum. It's above everything, right? You may look around and say, well, I'm not a talented man. I don't have a way of, of building things and teaching my sons 
a particular craft. I'm just useless in all of that. Yeah, but you can love them. You can love them. You may be physically disabled where you can't throw a ball with them. You can't teach them how to catch a grounder or a pop fly. You can't do any of those. What good am I as a father? This is what fathers do. Yeah, but you can love them. And I want you to hear me on this. This is the great equalizer. There may be a lot of things you can't do for other people, but you can love them, and love is supreme because God is love, and He loves through you. So fathers, do you love your children? Hmm? Do they know it? Do they see it? Do they feel it? Well, I'll figure something out. No, no, no. Don't figure something out. Go to the scripture and make sure your love is characterized by these things that are listed here by the Apostle Paul for our edification. And what a difference a loving father makes in the life of a family. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we love because you love. And we thank you, Lord, that you gave us a model of love in Jesus Christ who laid down his life. Greater love has no one than this, than one should lay down his life for his friends. Well, that would certainly be true for a wife. That would certainly be true for children. We lay down our lives as men of God for them, for our church, for other people, because we love. But then, in case we kind of miss it or fudge or try to redefine it, you made it really clear in this love chapter what love really looks like. And you remind us that you commanded all of us to walk in love and to do all that we do in love. So, Lord, number one, I pray you would forgive us. Number two, I pray that you would teach us Number three, I pray you would give us willing hearts so that particularly fathers, as we are addressing today, would have the love of God flowing through them. To be strong, yes. To have convictions, yes. To be firm, (coughs) absolutely. But also to let everything they do be done in love. And then, Lord, I want to pray for dads or anybody else who doesn't know Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they have no idea what love is because they've never seen the God-man coming to earth, living a perfect life, keeping all 613 Jewish laws so he could die in their place on the cross and so that God the Father could pour his anger toward their sin on Jesus and Jesus could bear it. They've never known a Savior who rose from the dead because he loved them, A Savior who sits at the right hand of God the Father, ready to receive them when they die because He loves them. And I pray for them today. I pray for their salvation. Pray that during Bible school, kids would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, take the message home to their parents, and parents would be saved. Oh, Lord, save those that we love for the glory of God. And thank you that while our earthly fathers fail, You never do. And thank you that today on this Father's Day, we can say through Christ, God is my Father.
Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.